be here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to bring to you the Word of God this morning. You know, if you are visiting us here, uh, if you're new to our, or someone new to our church, uh, one thing you need to know about SIBKL is we are unique in this sense that there are three distinctives of our church. The first thing is this, that we are a generational church. This is not an old people's church. It is not a young people's church. It is a church, right? I don't know where you know this in heaven. There is no young people section, old people section, all right? There's no, there's just one. Because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a generational God. So we are a generational church. The other thing that you must know about our church is that we, are, uh, we have a huge, not just burden, but mandate from God to care for Sabah and Sarawak. Um, that is why our name is Sidang Injil Bonio, S-I-B, right? While we are in KL, God has blessed us so that we can lend strength back to our East Malaysian brothers and sisters. So if, you, um, you know, if you've committed in your heart to give towards the fund that Pastor Chu uh, mentioned last weekend, you know, by all means, do so. Because you're not just uh, sowing into an idea, you are partnering with the purposes of God. And of course, the last thing is that you know, we believe in our church, we are a spiritual church. Now, I'm not saying other churches are unspiritual, okay? I'm not saying other churches are not spiritual, but we really, really believe in the importance and we believe in there's no substitute in just reading the Word of God, in prayer, in fasting, in spiritual disciplines. So that's what SIBKL is about. And you know, we are, it's, it's January, uh, it's 2019 already. My goodness, right? How time has flown by. So usually in the month of January, what we do is it's a time where we um, unpackage the theme that God has downloaded to us as a leadership for this year. And you know, this year's theme, um, as I mentioned, spiritual disciplines, one of the things that would mark a Christian is his spiritual discipline. It's how we follow God. So this year, last year, we had together, we built God's kingdom. This year, we this is our theme, together we follow Jesus. Turn to someone next to you and say, together we follow Jesus. Turn to someone else and say, together we will have lunch. Praise God. You know, together we follow Jesus. And it's not something that is, um, you know, out there or mind-blowing or something that if I'll be honest, particularly exciting. You know, it's not a kind of like theme where it's like this year we will take the world or this year we will do this or do that. But it is a one of the most important aspects or perhaps the only aspect of following Jesus or our Christianity, our Christian faith. So before we begin, I just want to throw out a few statements just to get you thinking a little bit. Think about this statement for a moment. There are many church goers. But how many are Christ's followers? Think about that for a moment. There are many churchgoers, but how many are actually Christ's followers? What defines a Christian? Does going to church make you a Christian? Just going to church. It's like, does going to McDonald's make you a Big Mac? Right? 
Does standing in your garage make you or your porch make you a car? No, right? Like going to a place, well, going to church may be, uh, may be an aspect of our Christian life, but it's not the defining one. Not, what, not the only defining thing about what it means to be a Christian. And here's another thought for you, right? A church that does not disciple will eventually dissolve. Um, just, uh, uh, just to put it out there, okay? Do you know that our, one of the critical things for our church, I would dare say this, right? If, I, if I'm wrong, then maybe Pastor Chu can uh, put on gaji later, right? I feel that one of the things that, you know, this year is our 25th anniversary. Praise God for that, right? 25 years old. Some of you are not even 25 years old yet. But, you know, our church is 25 years. And one of the things that would define our church is not the leadership transition, but it's whether we as a church continue to disciple our people well. That we are not just producing churchgoers, but Christ followers. One more statement just to get you thinking. The cost of non-discipleship is the irrelevance of the church. The irrelevance of the church. I read this somewhere and I, it got me thinking because you see oftentimes what we do is we try to water down this Christian faith, the gospel message, what we see in the word of God because we are not afraid to offend people. I don't know about you, but Jesus wasn't particularly the most politically correct guy, right? Now, one of the things that we should not do is we should not be ashamed for presenting truths in a loving way, but to also live out the truth in our life. Because the Bible says this, that, you know, I am not ashamed. Paul writes this in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to change and save lives. That's what we believe in. Do you know that? I don't know whether you actually realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, is one of the most important messages ever or most important. You know, from history, today and forevermore, it will be the most important. It far outweighs any special TED talk or any special idea or whatever it is because this is the power of God. It is the solution to life. Now think about this. If you had a cure to cancer, like literally you had a cure to cancer sitting in your home, maybe it's like in the form of a little formula or concoction that you have, and you see people around you, people that you know, they have cancer and you kind of like just not do anything about it. Why? Because maybe it's a little bit inconvenient or you go, oh, that's that person's problem. What that person is doing is his business. What I'm doing is my business. You, anybody who is witnessing this, observing this will go, this is a great injustice, right? You have something really, really good and you have something not just really good, but something that people need and you're withholding it from them. And it's the same with the message of God. There are people out there that are dying, that are lost, that they have no purpose, they, have, they are looking for meaning in their life, and yet we have the solution, the cure to life in our hands in the message of Jesus. Do you know what you have? Do you know what you believe in? That 
Jesus didn't save us just so that we could have a good time in church. He saved us so that we can be transformed, so that via our transformed lives, we can be a message and a beacon of hope to the world. That's what following Jesus is about. So if you have not caught on already, this morning, I want to speak to you from the thought of following Jesus, but this is my title this morning, all right? It's very cheap, okay? Get ready. It's, it goes this way. Christianity, it is either self-denying and cross-bearing, otherwise it is self-bearing and cross-denying. I hear some wows and I hear some huh, right? Let me explain. Before I begin, uh, before I go straight into it, I want to turn your attention to this portion of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his mentee, who is, happens to be a pastor in Ephesus. Paul writes this, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, take a look at this statement here. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What an incredible statement right there. That it is possible to have a form of godliness, but yet not display its power. Then, of course, Timothy writes on to say in verse 7, we'll skip down to verse 7, it says this, These are the type of people who are always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because here's the deal, true discipleship, true salvation always results in a will and a willingness to follow Jesus. And following Jesus always results in life transformation that we are changed from the inside out, that we may be in the world, but we no longer are like the world. Would it, wouldn't it be very, very strange, right, that if we, if we as people who proclaim to follow Jesus, we come to church, but our lives are exactly the same as those who don't follow Jesus. The only exception is, is that we have a place to go to on Sunday. Is that the point of the Christian life. Is that how we live it out? So before I, I go even further, just a disclaimer here, okay? Now, how many of you here, you've been a Christian for more than six months? Like you say that, yes, I, you know, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior uh, for more than six months. If you're not sure, it's okay. You don't have to put your hand up. There's no, this is not a, uh, uh, it's, there's no judgment or there's no punishment right here. If you're not a Christian, that's okay as well. Um, how many of you, for, you've been a Christian for more than six months? Right, just put your hand up. This message is for you. For those of you who, have, who are not a Christian yet, who are still new, it's okay. You can relax and um, turn off if you want, right? Because this is going to get a little bit hard and challenging. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14. Not a kind of scripture that you want to read to work a crowd or to sell books or to get more Instagram followers. In fact, I may lose a few after this. Luke 14, verse 25 says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Let us sing then, sing that in for a moment. By the way, these are the words of Jesus, okay? I did not write this. The SP did not write this. None of our elders wrote this. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe, open your own Bible and check it out. Verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Anybody ready to give up everything they have? Anybody? Anybody ready to go and close down their bank accounts, sell their cars right now and just kind of like go, we have one hand over there, sir, I see your hand. Please come to the front, all right? We'll keep you accountable to that statement. But... Before I dive into the passage, there is hard statements here that Jesus makes. Before I dive into it and unpackage what it really means or what it kind of means for us, I want to set this up a little bit by explaining a few things. First of all, I want you to realize that everything in life costs. You know that? And even if something was free, it's not because it, it, had, it has no value. It just means that somebody else paid for it. Right? So like our salvation. You see, our salvation is free, but it was paid by the precious blood of Jesus. It was paid by God's one and only Son. So grace, while it is free, it is not certainly cheap. It's not. And salvation, you know, it, while it is free, you know, it does not mean that it did not cost something. So here's another thought for you, okay? You cannot have the benefits without its implications. You cannot have its benefits without its implications. What do I mean by that is this. Um, any of you are, are car people? You like, you love cars? Anybody? Just give me, give me a wave. None of you like cars. You're like, I'm so holy. I walk, I pray wherever I go. I go on prayer walks all the time. Right? Any car people here? You know, so when you, when you want to get a, a new car, what you would do is quite often, right? Uh, you would go and uh, take a loan, Yes. Um, say, for example, you, you have your eyes on a nice, shiny, blue BMW, right? Blue with black wheels. Ooh, so nice, right? And you, have, you set your eyes on it, and then you go and put a down payment, and you take a loan for it. So you're sitting in your BMW, you know, you're rolling around town, um, you're the talk of town, you know, everywhere you go, heads turn, they're looking at your car, you're enjoying all the attention, you're sitting in the nice comfortable leather seats, great air conditioning, great sound system, great driving experience, and you feel so good, like, wow, this is comfortable, this is amazing, this is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. But then come the end of the month, where it's time to pay back your loan. 
And for example, just as an example, right? Like let's say your, your salary a month is 4,000 ringgit. And now the bank is asking 2,000 ringgit for you every month to pay back this loan. Would it be reasonable for you to get angry about this? To go, how dare this bank uh, take my 2,000 ringgit? Who do they think they are? Do you know what I can do with this 2,000 ringgit? Do you know that I worked hard for this money? How dare they come and ask for 2,000 ringgit every month for me? So you go down to the bank, you, tell, you bring out the manager and you go, Hey, Mr. Manager, do you know who I am? The guy goes, no. Doesn't matter, right? But do you know who I am? I, how dare you take this 2,000 ringgit from me? I don't feel like paying it. I don't want to pay it. And how many of you know that's really unreasonable? In the same way, many of us, we want the works of God, but how many of us follow the ways of God? We come to God and we go, it's, it's always like this, right? When it comes to prayer, it's like, hey, pastor, yes, pastor, pray for me. Pray for blessing, pray for, fam- pray for my family, pray for my business, pray for my studies. Yes, pastor, bless me. Yes, thank you. Please pray for me. But then when it comes to like, hey, maybe it's time to talk about the way you run your business. Maybe it's time to talk about the way you treat your family. Maybe it's time to talk about the way you live. And then we suddenly go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you to tell me what to do with my life? Here's the thing. We have expectations of God, but it's like God cannot have expectations of us. Right? We can have expectations of the church. The church should do this. The church should do that. But the church cannot have expectations of us. How dare you tell me to come and serve at a certain time? How dare you tell me the call time is 7.30? I am doing you a favor by coming to usher Pastor Isaac. It's Pastor Isaac here. He's not, right? How, you know, it's like, it's like, like how, you know, and, and here's the thing. It does not work that way. So what is discipleship? What is discipleship? And to, to, to go a little bit further, I want to introduce you this idea between a fan and a follower. Contrasting a fan and a follower. Now, this idea is not original to me. Uh, I read a book by Carl Eidemann a couple of years ago. Uh, it really transformed and changed my thinking on what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. It's called a fan or follower of Jesus, right? So I want to contrast this, an idea of a fan and a follower. There are many fans of Jesus, right? Like It's like, oh, you know, when I need something or... Um, you know, when, when, it's, when, when, it's, when all my friends are doing it or when it's convenient for me, I'll be a fan for Jesus, right? I'll turn up, I'll serve. When things are going well, I will serve. When I feel like it, you know, I'll read my Bible, I'll get into it and all that. But there are many, there are many fans but few followers. What is the difference? A fan and a follower. The first thing that I will contrast um, this way is a fan is about trends, but a follower is about truth. One of the things that's trending right now is this lady called Mary, uh, Marie Kondo. You know Marie Kondo? Have you heard of Marie Kondo? Um, most of you have not, not heard of her. That's okay. Marie Kondo is this, um, what do I call her? Do I call her a, a consultant, a Japanese consultant? She has this show on Netflix. Uh, it basically, the whole premise of this show is, to, is just to tell you how to declutter your life. How you should, you know, um, you know live, be content with less how you shouldn't take, you know, get hot so much and how you should just, you know, arrange your home in a way that is pleasant and spacious and 
night. So some of us need to watch this show, right? But so it's trendy. And then it, it, it's like all over, you see, yeah, people start getting into it. Then they, they start, you know, like folding their clothes or they start realizing, yeah, I have too much things and all that. So that's a trend that comes up. But you know that this has always been a truth. Because the Bible itself says that godliness with um, content is of great gain. Being content with what you have. And you see, and the thing about trends in the world is that um, the world treats truth as trends. Because the world changes what is acceptable all the time. One moment is acceptable, is acceptable, um, it's not acceptable to marry or to be in a relationship with the same gender. The next moment, suddenly the idea of gender does not even exist. And people can argue about this, you know, how dare you assume my gender? You know, kind of people can argue about this and all these things, but you know that that I feel this, right? I feel personally, I'm just gonna say it out in the open that. You know, when we start questioning even the way nature is set up, it's almost as if we are saying, I am God, I know what is better. So we, we start to perceive the way we um, do certain things, the way we do family, the way we do business, the way we do relationships, all are our own way and not the ways of God. Here's another contrast between a fan and a follower. A fan is all about convenience. A follower is about commitment. And the scary thing is, is that some fans of pop stars or products are even more committed than Christians. Like there are fans of pop stars or, mu- or musicians or artists they would, and products, they would literally line up the day or the night before just to get into the venue which, where the performance is held or to get their hands on the product that's been released. But for us then, it comes to like, oh, you know, if I, when I am free, I will go to church. When I am free, I will be committed to God. When I am free, then I will make room and allowance for God in my life. I don't know about you, but have you realized being serious and following Jesus is very inconvenient? Do you realize that? It's super inconvenient. Why is that so? Well, let me tell you something. Going to the cross and dying on it, by the way, was not very convenient for Jesus. Wasn't that convenient for him, truth be told. Here's the other thing, right? A fan and a follower. A fan is all a, is a seasonal and a follower is eternal. I have a big confession um, to make, right? So um, I, follow, I fall under the anointing, right? So our senior pastor is Pastor Chu. So I fall under the anointing. The football club I support is Manchester United, right? Like Pastor Chu. So I follow the anointing, okay? I'm a very submissive person, right? Uh, we've got some rebels in our midst. Pastor Gilbert supports Chelsea. We have to pray for him, okay? So, um, Pastor Jeff, who do you support? Manchester United. He's under the anointing as well. Praise God. Okay, so, uh, forgive me, Pastor Gilbert. He's, he's, look, he's looking at me with a very dirty look right now. Sorry, Pastor Gilbert. But anyway, so, you know, I found it very easy to support Manchester United when they were winning, right? You know, when Sir Alex Ferguson was still the manager. And then, you know, came in this guy, like, his, his name's a curse word to me, David Moyes. Oh, yuck, right? And then Louis, Louis Van Gaal, and then Jose Mourinho, and then the team started playing really badly. So I sensed for a while God was calling me to give up football. And I was like, yeah. And we have this um, staff member, his name is Sam. He works in accounts. Uh, he's a Liverpool fan. 
He will always come and ask me, oh, so how's Ben you doing? How's Ben you doing? And I'll be like, be gone for me, sinner. The Lord is leading me to holier and better things, right? But now that, now that um, you know, Jose Mourinho is out of the picture and, you know, United are playing well again, they're playing football that I actually like watching, suddenly I go, okay, I will now actually bother watching and following what's happening with my team. So I'm a, I'm a fan of that. That's a very seasonal thing. But God forbid that we treat Jesus this way, that we are seasonal in our commitment to Him. It's like, oh, you know, if I'm going through a tough time or I'm going through a busy period, you see, you know, one of my responsibilities here in church is I uh, oversee and pastor the youth ministry. I'm always challenging the youth this, right, that if it's exam season, it's not a time for you to take your foot off the pedal on following Jesus. It's a time where you should actually be more intentional about it. Because guess what? As you get older, being serious and following God does not actually get easier. You know, students don't realize how free they are sometimes. Parents, you all know what I'm talking about. And so it's during that time that you must be committed to God 110%. Because if you don't cultivate that behavior or that pattern in your life when you're younger, you're not going to get it when you are older. And, you know, a fan, you know, a fan it's very easy to get into something when something is in trend or in season or, or, it's, or it's winning or it's, or it's happening. But what about our lives? You know, I don't know about you, but I have experienced low seasons, challenging times. I have experienced even great disappointment in my own life. And this leads to my last contrast between a fan and a follower. You see, a fan goes with feelings, but a follower goes by faith. Following God is not a feeling. Okay, it's not a feeling. Just like love. Love isn't necessarily just a feeling. It is a choice. It is a choice to love your wife. It is a choice to love your enemies. It is a choice to forgive those who wrong you. It is a choice to come in to church to actually worship. You know, a lot of times, like, we feel like, oh, today I come to church, I don't feel like worshiping because maybe I had a bad day. I'm going through a challenging season. But here's the thing, okay? This is what true passion is. True passion is not, I feel, therefore I believe. Because that's hype. That means that I feel for a while, I'm excited about this, I'll get into it, and I believe it's good. True passion is brought about by revelation, and it's this, I believe, therefore I feel. So when I come to worship, even for myself, when I step into worship, you will see when I worship, I'm most of the time, most of the time, right? I'm also imperfect, I remain engaged. Why? Because when I'm worshipping, it's not about how I feel. It's not about what I'm going through. Worship is not a dependent on how I feel. Worship is dependent on who He is. And I believe that God is good, even when I don't see it yet. Even when I'm not seeing it now. God is good, and I have that revelation. And it's the same with following Jesus. It doesn't feel easy all the time. It doesn't feel easy most of the time, if I'll be honest with you. But I have a revelation that, wow, this is a path that leads to life everlasting. This is the path that leads to a life of purpose. Therefore, I choose 
follow Jesus. So a fan and a follower. If I were to give you a simple definition of what discipleship is, it's simply this. Following Jesus and obeying the Bible without compromise. Following Jesus and obeying the Bible without compromise. John 14 verse 23 to 24 says this. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So it's not enough to just say that, yes, I believe in you, Jesus, but we have to obey His teaching. We come to church on Saturday and Sunday, some of us, right? But what is our life like outside of church? Because we already established that going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian because this is a free place. Anybody can walk in and out of this place. And one last thing I want to do before I tackle the message properly, I won't take a lot of time, but I want to contrast what is salvation and what is discipleship, the difference, okay? First is this, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost. We already established this, that if we want the blesser and we want the blessings, we have to follow the blesser's ways. Salvation is a moment because, you know, what we do is we have an altar call. You come down, you know, you say the sinner's prayer and then you sign on a paper. You know, you fill the details in. Wow, you're saved. Praise God for that. But that is not the end all. That is simply the beginning. Discipleship is a lifetime. You know, having salvation without discipleship is like having a wedding without a marriage. It's like you get, you know, it's like everything's emotional. You walk down the aisle, you get married. And then after that, you tell your husband or wife, okay, that was great, great doing with you. You look awesome. Your makeup's on point. Now see you later. Bye-bye. And you go do your own thing. Salvation is what God does, but discipleship is what we do with God. Okay, very important. Not all our own strength, but us partnering with God. Lastly, salvation is a decision but discipleship is devotion, being devoted to God. So let me quickly get into the passage that we read, the one that we read before this. You know, Jesus says that you must hate father, mother, brother, sister, and all that. Now, this is not an excuse now for you to go home and tell your father or mother-in-law, I hate you. The pastor said so. I'm allowed to do this, right? No. Children, it's not for you to go back and tell your parents, I'm mommy, daddy, I hate you, right? The pastor says, it's okay for me to say this, No. What does Jesus mean when he says hate? He doesn't mean to literally hate. But get this, right? He means this. Not to hate or to scorn or to despise, but to love less. He's making a point. Kind of like how Jesus wasn't being literal when he said, if your left hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, right, gorge it out. If Jesus was literal about that, we'll be in trouble. Right? We won't even be here. I don't know where we will be. But he's actually making a point. So the point is this. Does God have access to every part of your life? Is there anything that is too much that God can ask from you? Because this is what an idol is. You know what an idol is? 
An idol is something that you must seek permission from before you say yes to God. That's what an idol is. For some of us, you know, we don't have idols in our home. Like we don't have this big statue or anything like that, right? For some of us, our idols is our career. It's like we build our life around our career, you know, and it's like it's not convenient for me to be committed to God, so I'm going to focus on my career. Some of us, our idol can even be our family. This is something that I'm learning to navigate as well in my own life. You know, just uh, recently having a, uh, a daughter together with my wife, and it's something that I'm navigating because I don't want to have a family. I don't want having a family for it now to be an excuse for me to become less passionate about God. Because here's the thing. If something means enough to you, you won't make an excuse. You will put in effort. Because we put in effort for a lot of things. For those of us, you know, for some people who are very serious about working out or about playing golf. Or, or does anybody still play golf in this day and age? I don't know. Nobody has really asked me to play golf uh, anymore, right? But it's like, you know, people do all these different things. We put an effort to put it in. So this is what God is saying. Would you love me more than all of these things that you have in your life? Would you love me more? He's not talking about, he's not talking about literally going to despise your life, but he's saying this in all these things at any one moment, if God says, do this, will you say, yes, Lord, you said it, I believe it, and I will obey. And then after this passage, she talks, uh, in this passage rather, you know, after he talks about hating your, your parents and your family and everything that you have and even your own life, he talks about this, whoever does not take up your cross cannot be my disciple. Um, I have a confession to make. I'm just going to step over here and pick up um, my cross. I'm just going to hang it, hang it on my shoulder as I, as I talk for a while. You know, I have a confession to make. Um, I am not the kind of pastor that goes on flights, you know, sit on a plane and, um, and then, you know, when I go on flights, right, I'm not the kind of pastor where I sit next to the person, you know, I sit, the person, sit to the person next to me and I immediately start thinking how to get the person saved. You know, it's like, I'm not the kind of pastor that will go like, okay, you know, have you accepted your Lord, uh, Lord Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior, right? And then you boom, the fellow gets saved. And then like, you know, stand up and then preach and the whole cabin gets saved. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy when I get onto the plane, I put my headphones on and just pray that nobody talks to me. It's like, I pray that nobody talks to me. And, um, and I dread when I'm sitting next to a stranger. Nowadays, I travel with my family, so praise God, right? But before that, you know, when I travel alone, I always pray that the stranger next to me will not be a chatty one, right? And Lagi Thoreau, when the guy says, like, what do you do for work? And you go, oh, my pastor. Okay, guess now I have to lie and you have to be friendly towards you. So I'm not the kind of guy that talks to strangers. But um, I'll tell you what happened to me uh, uh, some time back. I, I, I went to the post office and um, I was renewing my road tax, right? Uh, in Tamantun, you know the Petronas, there's a post office there that you can do that. So I was doing that and I was just sitting there waiting for my number to be called. And it was a long, it was pretty busy that afternoon. So I was just waiting. Next to me, there was this uh, lady. Now she had uh, something of hers caught my eye. She had this long pendant or necklace. I don't know what you call it. You know, it's wrapped around her neck. And at the end of it was, was actually a cross. And she was holding on to the cross and, you know, just kind of like touching it. 
And that caught my attention. So I was like, wow, this person, you know, must be very spiritual. Perhaps a spiritual conversation can ensure for me. So I don't know what came over me. I actually said to her, that's a very nice cross. And she looked back at me. She said, why? Why thank you? And in me, I immediately just assumed that she was a Christian, right? So I asked her this. I said, um, which church do you go to? To which she replied, oh, I'm not a, I'm a Buddhist. I don't go to church. And I was like, and then I was like, but why are you, why are you wearing a cross? And she said this, oh, I just like the pattern. I like the design. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea what came on, what came over me. I started lecturing this woman. I was like, do you know that in the olden days, the cross was not a decorative item? The cross was not a decorative piece. The cross was a symbol of torture and death. That's what the cross was. Because in the olden days, only criminals get sentenced to die on a cross. And to really make their humiliation even greater, they are made to carry the thing that they are going to die on. And people would mock them and scoff at them and say all kinds of things. Some would even throw like poop and throw like mud and rubbish at them. And what this means is that this symbol only means something positive today because Jesus died on it. That Jesus took what was meant to be for death and He redeemed it to now re to represent hope and love. It is only by the blood of Jesus. It is only because He carried this cross. He is the God of the turnaround. He redeemed what this meant. And so when the disciples heard Jesus say, carry your cross, they weren't thinking, oh, that's awesome. Peter, we're going to go to the jewelry store. We're going to go to the accessory shop. We're going to pick out a nice pearl or jade cross for you, for me, for James as well. And we're all going to wear nice crosses together. It wasn't anything like that. They would have been shell-shocked. They'll go, what? Carry the cross but Jesus said that. You know why? Because when you carry the cross, what it means is this, is that you are a dead man walking. That when a dead man, when, a, when the criminal goes through the cross, he suddenly realizes that his life is no longer his own. He's only going towards one purpose. So it's not literally telling us to take up our cross so there's no crosses for everybody. Don't be disappointed, all right? It's not literally that. But it means this, that when we carry our cross, we are telling the world that I am dead to sin. I am dead to the ways of the world. I am dead to even my own ways, but now I'm alive in Christ. Because here's the deal. You cannot have resurrection power without living a crucified life. You cannot have it both ways. And when Jesus said to carry the cross, that's what it means. It means that you will actually really face persecution. You will face, you will be misunderstood. You will be 
judge, would you follow Jesus even under these circumstances? Now, I would love to report that after that, I led the lady into the sinner's prayer and then, you know, I led her to the Lord. No, I did not. That didn't happen, right? But it really got me thinking that, wow, to carry the cross, do we bear our cross for Jesus? Look at this. Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. Romans 8, 17 says this, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we must share in His glory. Following Jesus, my friend, is not convenient. It is not. It is most certainly not comfortable. It will result in all kinds of different things, even in my own life. You know, in my, in my own life, I've, I've been following Jesus since I was uh, fully following Jesus since I was 21 years old. I made certain decisions in my life, you know, so that I can actually glorify God. I've made a decision in my life that, for example, when I was, um, you know, in, when I was still a, a student, many of my friends, you know, they would have this party lifestyle. They would go to clubs and you'll get wasted and all that. And a lot of times, I wouldn't join them. And they would always make fun of me. They would go, ah, Mother Teresa not joining us today. And then they would, they would ask me, hey, where are you going? Sell group, ah. sell what? Ah? You know, they, kind of, you know, they, they would always they would make fun of me. And then when I decided to answer the call to follow God, do you know how many people actually came up to me and said this? They say, huh, you want to follow God? Ah? You want to be a pastor? Ah? What? You don't want no money, you want to know. And some even said to me, how are you going to provide for your family? Uh, can you be more responsible and don't, you know, and don't do this? How are you going to provide for your family? And there are many people who question you know, the, way, the, way I, the, the way I live. Like, why do you do this? You know, some will even suggest, why don't you just do this a little bit? Nobody will know, you know. Nobody will know. What people don't know won't hurt them. But I have resolved that I am going to follow God and I'm going to follow Him to the best of my ability. And it's not even because I'm a pastor. It's not so that people can see. Because guess what? I can hide a whole bunch of different things from you guys, but one person that I cannot hide from is the Holy Spirit. Same here. We can wear a mask all that we like in church, but we cannot fool God. We can fool other people, we can fool ourselves, but we cannot fool God. Now, this is a very heavy message, right? But as I come to, you know, I, just give me about 10 more minutes and I'll, 10 to 15 more minutes and I'll wrap up. But as I come into this, I want to be a bit more encouraging right now. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What this speaks to me about is that discipleship is a journey not a destination. That it is all about progress and not about perfection. That it is about a daily thing where we commit ourselves anew to God. You know, if we mess up today, praise God that there is still tomorrow that we can go back to God. And if we mess up tomorrow, there's still the day after that we can go back 
to God. The key is that do we have a heart that will go, God, I'm not perfect. God, I don't have it all together. But by your grace and by your mercy and by your Holy Spirit, you help me. That's what grace is. Grace is not this little prayer that we say before we have a meal. Grace is the empowerment of God. Grace is not a license to sin. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live the way He wants us to live. The key is do we have that desire to get to know Him. So for those of us who are struggling, here's my encouragement to you. It is a process. Take one step at a time. But for those of us who've been a Christian for a long time, you know, it's easy to, you know, after you play this church game for a while, you know, you've been to that conference, you heard that speaker, you bought the t-shirt, you bought the merchandise, you have all the CDs. It's easy to say, ah, I know this already. I know it all. But remember, none of us have really arrived. As a church, let's not be a church that would actually come to the point and say, wow, we know so much about God already, that is enough. No, may we have the posture that says, God, we just want to know you more and more every day. God, there's just so much to you. There's just so much to you. You know, this is what I realized about Jesus is that he, he, is, he cannot be fully understood, but He can be personally known. Every day when I spend time with God, every time I seek God, wow, I get fresh revelation. I get, you know, I just receive something because there's just so much to God that our finite minds cannot comprehend. I love God and I pray and desire that all of us would have that kind of revelation towards Him. And in the scripture, you know, Jesus talks about how, um, you know, if you build a tower, you must do this and, you know, if you go to war and all that kind of stuff. Here's the point. The point is this. Count the cost. Don't negotiate the price. Many of us, we are not willing to count the cost. We want to negotiate the price. What it means. It's like, God, you can have every, you can have my weekends, but don't tell me how to live on Monday to Friday. God, I will serve you, but don't tell me who I can date or who I can marry. That's mine. God, I, I, you know, I will give 10% of my earnings to church. I will serve, but don't tell me how to run my business. God, I will do all these things, but don't interfere in my family life. That is my own affair. My friends, God is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. He's Lord of all or not Lord at all. So count the cost. Count the cost. Luke 9.24 says this as well. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, what, why, why would Jesus say this? It sounds very negative, doesn't it? It sounds like if I follow God, wow, a lot of things I cannot do. You know, I cannot have a good time. I cannot party. I cannot... You know, I cannot do things my own way. I cannot be rich. You know, it's a lot of like negatives. I can't do all these things. But God gave me this revelation. And in order to illustrate this revelation to you, I'm going to get uh, Pastor Jeffrey. Could you come and help me for, for a short while? Yeah, just come up these steps, Pastor Jeffrey. Pastor Jeffrey, please get you to stand here in the light. Yeah, just hold your hands in front of you just like this. And my instructions to you, Pastor Jeffrey, is I'm going to give you two things and 
you just have to hold on to it as hard as you can. And no matter what you do, don't let go of it, okay? Right, so I'm going to give Pastor Jeffrey because I like him very much. These two pineapple cookies, it is Chinese New Year after all, right? So Pastor Jeffrey is going to hold on to these two Chinese New Year cookies. Get this, my friends. God is not limited in His ability to give. We are limited in our ability to receive. A lot of times what we do is we hold on to different things in our lives because we think that's what is best for us. We think we know better. We think we know what we are doing. We think we know where we are going. And the thing is, we could be holding on to these different things, but God could be like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to give you something way better. But we are too preoccupied with what we have in our hands. So some of it could be not necessarily bad things. Some of it could be a career. But we know this career is taking us further and further away from God. Some of it could be a relationship. And we know this relationship, while the person in himself or herself is not bad, but we know that this person doesn't share the values or the desire to grow in God like we do. And some of it could be different things, right? Just, just think of it. Anything that is keeping us from growing deeper and closer with God. Some of it could be negative things. We could be holding on to our hurt. We could be holding on to our disappointment. We could be holding on to unforgiveness and all that. All the while God is saying, my child, my son, my daughter, I'm waiting to give you something better if only you will let go of control. Last night I had this dream. It just came to me. Right? I had this dream. Have you ever went to the arcade and played those racing car games? And you know when you're playing the racing car game, it's like you don't know how, you're not very good at it, so you're banging and crashing all in, into walls and all that kind of stuff. And this morning as I was driving it, that dream came back to me and I realized this, that's what a lot of our lives are like. That we are holding on to different things and we're not letting God take control because we think that we know better. But God is saying, I'm inviting you on a journey to follow me, to give up your own life and to give up your own way but it does not mean it's because I want to curse you or I want to hurt you. But it means that I have something better for you. Give Pastor Jeffrey a big hand, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Pastor Jeffrey. How do I know this? Luke 18. Look at the promise of Jesus. This story here, Luke 18, is a story of the rich young ruler who has done it all well. And he comes to Jesus and he says, tell me now what must I do to follow you? And God said to him, give up everything you have. And he couldn't. And then his disciples were dismayed because he was like, how then can we do this? But look at the promise that Jesus made. I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, can I read that to you again? Can I read to you the promise of God? I assure you, Jesus assures us that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, will be repaid many times over in this life. So it's not just a reward in heaven, 
what you lose in God, what you lose in God, you will most certainly gain back. God is asking you to put down what is in front of you so that you can pick up something better that God has in store for you. Can we give God a praise in this place? And this is my last point here and we can get the band to come up. You know, Jesus talks about hating your own life, taking up your cross, counting the cost. And he ends by talking about salt. He says that salt, if it loses its saltiness, what good is it? And you know, in the ancient days, this is what salt does. Salt has two purposes, to enhance and preserve. Salt will enhance because, you know, if you want to add a bit more flavor into food, you add a bit of salt into it. Yeah, enhance it. But back in the olden days as well, you know, they didn't have refrigerators where they store their meat and all, their, and all these different things, right? So they had to add salt to it to preserve it. So here's the call for us. As we are transformed by God, as we are changed by God, what we have is not meant to be kept in here. We are called now into the world. We are saved to be sent out. We gather here so that we can scatter later on. And that's what salt is for. That's what God has put us on this earth for. That every one of us share in this purpose to be the salt and light of the world. So here's the thing. As Christians, man, we should not just bring the good news. We should be good news to people when they see us. We should be the most positive, the most hopeful, the most pleasant, the most full of integrity, the most hardworking, the most productive, the most honest people around. Because what, when we do that, what we are doing is we enhance the lives of those around us. And do you know what happens when people eat too much salt? They get thirsty. So in the same way, we should be salty that makes people thirsty and then they start to wonder what is it about you that makes you like this and they now want a part of what we have. You see, we don't have to go around standing on boxes on a street corner yelling at people, you're all going to hell to preach the gospel. You just live your life with what God has given you, your gifts, whatever it is, live your life in a way that those who don't know God but know you will come to know God because they know you. You are a walking testimony. You are a walking sermon. You are the only Bible that some people would ever read. What would they see as we leave the four walls of this church, the safety net, and we go out into the world? Will they find someone who is different, who carries a different spirit, or will we be the same? You know, I read this statement by Francis Chan. He said this, that it is there is something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. When the way we live our lives makes sense to unbelievers. There is something wrong about that. The other thing that salt does, it preserves. My friends, we as Christians, we are called to be defenders of the truth. Preserve. Now, I'm not saying now to go and get into an online argument with someone on Facebook 
over some doctrine or theology. Don't do that. That's a huge waste of time. Don't argue with anyone online. I'm not asking you to get even into arguments with people. No, I'm asking you to preserve the values of what it means to be a Christian in family, in business, in our own lives. Preserve the truth in your own life. Don't allow anyone to contaminate it. And then as you live your life as a testimony, you gain influence, then you're able now to share the truth. We shouldn't be contributing to the downfall of society, but we should be preserving it. That's why, you know, I'm a huge advocate of, to, of us being wary of what we post on social media. Because social media, you know, is a space where there is influence. It's creating atmospheres. So I'm very careful to never post. In fact, I usually never post anything negative or cussing or anything on social media. You know why? Because I understand that this space here is you can use one to influence and add value or you can contribute to the downfall of society. That's what God has called us to live as. Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. And I'm finishing really soon. This is what Jesus says. He says this, that you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no good for anything except to be thrown out. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the answer to the world. Do you know that? The church is God's chosen instrument to, the answer, to be the answer and solution to a dying world. And the church is not a building. A church is not a construct. A church is a community. The church is you and I. God has chosen you and I to carry out His plan on this earth. We live now in a way that will reflect that plan. We live now in a way that will show the way to the world where to go. What we do this. Imagine if every Christian decided that I won't just go to church, I will live for Jesus. What a difference that will make across the board, not just here in PJ, but all around the world. Because here's the thing, we should not ask what is wrong with the world. Instead, we should wonder what has happened to the solid life. Because we know what's wrong with the world. I know what's wrong with the world. The question is, what's the solid light doing about it? So this year, as we follow Jesus, it's not so that we can have spiritual trophies or medal of honors to boast to ourselves or other Christians. No, it's because God has called us for something greater. Your life on this earth is meant for influence. Whether it's big scale, medium scale, mini scale, whatever is influence, God has given this to us. So I'll wrap up with this. You know, Pastor Lee Chu, she shared with us, uh, because you know, with this whole discipleship thing and all that, it can be very vague. Like what, what do we measure? What do we go for, right? So I want to introduce you the five end products, right? As I finish, what it will mean to be 
what it means to be a disciple. The first thing is this. A disciple is obedient to Jesus. Simple. That God says it, we will do it. We believe it. It's written in the Word of God, I will obey it. The Word of God tells me to forgive, I will forgive. The Word of God tells me, you know, not to cuss, I won't cuss. Simple as that. The Word of, the word of God, the second thing is this spiritual disciplines. Because there is no substitute to having a relationship with God. You cannot write on your pastor's relationship with God or your friend's relationship or your parents' relationship. All of us need to have a relationship and understanding of God for ourselves. The third thing is this, growing in a community and being accountable. Now, understand this, being accountable is not about control, it's about covering. It is about protection. It is about support. It's, you know, it's about being in a community of people. It's very, very nice to have friends who will give you advice. But you know what's more powerful than a friend that gives you advice? A friend that will pray for you. A friend that will pray with you. A friend that will stand with you in times and go, yes, I will pray and I will believe with you. There's power in community. God created us to be in community. You know, here in our church, there's many, many different opportunities to be connected into a community. If you are not in a cell, join a cell this year. Be part of a group. If you don't want to go to a cell, join a ministry. Build relationships. And if you, you know, if you are in a college or university student, make sure you join our college or university group, Life Gen. If you are a youth, make sure you join our youth group, Narrow Street, on Saturdays, two services. Because we cannot do this on our own. In fact, we were not destined or designed to do this on our own, but to do it in community. The fourth thing is this, there is we are a good testimony and we can bear witness. Not just a Christian here, not just a Christian, um, you know, when we are in church, but a Christian outside. We should not expect a full-time God but then only be a part-time Christian. It's like, I'm only a Christian when, it, when it's easy. I'm only a Christian when I gather around Christians. No, we should be a Christian showing the light wherever we go. The fifth thing is this, serve. Because I believe, as I said before, that the church is God's chosen instrument to impact the world. There is a reason why the church is called the Bride of Christ. Can you imagine if you were friends with someone, you tell the person, I like you, but I don't like your wife. Or if someone tells you this, I like you, but I don't like your wife. You'd be like, that doesn't make sense. It's the same way. We serve and we build the church, not because we have to, but because we get to be part of God's purposes and plans. And you could be sitting here and you go, ah, I do all this already. I'm very good. What more you want? Apa lagi cinema, pastor? What more you want? I already have all this. Here's my secret six point for you. You will produce all of this in someone else. Because Matthew 28, the great suggestion. No. The great commission. Go into all the world and what? Make disciples not collect them. Disciples are made. And it takes a disciple to make a disciple. 
make disciples cell leader if you are a cell leader can i challenge you this year make disciples don't just facilitate your group make disciples sdl zone leaders pastors even to myself don't just run your ministry run your program make disciples challenge people let's never go to a place where we are too afraid to challenge people because that will offend them what if we challenge people and they went to the next level challenge people challenge people so as i close this is what i'm going to do let's all rise in this place okay apologize for taking a little bit more time but i want to give an opportunity for people to respond in this place let's all rise shall we this is a call not just for ordinary church members it is not just for people who've been a Christian for many many years it's for all of us to follow Jesus it is for pastors for elders for leaders for cell members for cell leaders zone leaders SDL ministry leaders whatever it is that we will follow Jesus this year and not just this year but for the rest of our years so in this place I want to challenge you this if you feel a stirring because what I preached to you this this morning I hope it's not just information and I'm asking you to not to respond to a talk by a man understand this I hope you're not convinced by my words but convicted by the Holy Spirit this morning that God I will follow you whatever areas that I need to change whatever I need to give up whatever I need to surrender to you God I will do it because I'm doing it for you so in a moment I'm going to ask you to respond not for me understand this there's no I'm nothing to gain from this but for yourself it's between you and God so in this place maybe if we could just all close our eyes in this place right if you feel like this message spoke to you and it stirred you and you go yeah I want to make 2019 the year that I go to the next level in following Jesus I want you to just put your hands in front of you like this just raise your hands in front of you like that with no compulsion and no obligation and you dedicate and you surrender yourself to God saying yes God here I am use me here I am God change me here I am God speak to me here I am God for your glory everything that I have I don't hold back from you everything that I am I don't withhold from you I give myself and all that I have and all that I am completely unreservedly wholeheartedly to you God you have your way in my life every single area in my business in my career in my family even in my own thoughts may my life God bring you glory you know all things said and done I want to believe that ultimately it's all about obedience to God you know you can just be just words and go away nothing changes 
here we say this a thousand times. You have to believe that God is a good God. He wants the best for you, your life, your family. He will never shortchange you. You have to let go of your hand. That's all there is. If you hold on so tight to whatever it is that you're comfortable with, God not even about the blessings of the Lord. It's not that. It will come. You seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Is He telling a lie? Do you really believe what He says? The ball is on your court. This year, Of all the years, of 25 years, God has led this church to where we are today. Lanka, Demi, Lanka. And I don't know why. This year the Lord says, go deep. Tell the church, go deep. What do you do that? Go and ask Pastor Dijon and say something. feel that this is going to be a very powerful year. Powerful in the sense of the way God will be moving. And it's going to be a year that, you know, it's a choice that we will have to make. As we make the right choices, I just feel that the word is influence. The power of the salt is that it influences. And God wants His church, His people, to influence the world. But it doesn't just happen because we know what to do. It only happens when God is walking with us and we are prepared to go God's way. And so the main thing I felt God is teaching the church is to really take this word discipleship seriously. And I felt that bottom to it all, we must start reading our Bibles. It is a discipline. It doesn't start with delight. But when you start that discipline, the beauty of the Lord will appear. And you know, there's so much more God wants to do in our lives and through us and in us. I discovered that this beautiful phrase in Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created for good works which God has prepared in advance for us in Christ Jesus. The good works is not just even feeding the poor or even anything. Do you know as I launched a, a workplace a, a initiative called Accomplish Yesterday, the word prepared for good works includes business, employment, creativity, that which we lay our hands to, God has prepared. So God wants us to that amazing influence over the world. But it cannot happen until we know our God. It cannot happen until we are prepared to follow Him. It cannot happen until we are prepared to be transformed by Him. 
That's what God is saying. And I want to share this because I feel many of us think it's so hard to read the Bible. Nonsense is not. I'm starting, you know, it's crazy. I'm discipling a lot of people. I'm starting a group of discipleship. Very young people, very young, 21 years old, 19 years old. They are very young Christians. One is only one big Christian. I gave them a homework, five chapters. Every time you meet me, it's five chapters. Do you know they all can do it? And they're full of delight and they enjoy reading it. So one, the, the one that was just saved last week said to me, well, it's like reading a storybook. I said, yes, you just do S-O-A-P. Find out the scripture you want to read. Tell me what you observed, what have you applied, and write a prayer to Jesus and, and send it to me on the WhatsApp chat. And we will become to have a fellowship of following Jesus. Cell leaders, please start the journey of discipleship seriously. And God will be with us. God is never asking us to do something and then doesn't walk with us. I've never experienced this. In all the 40, 50 years of following Jesus, He never does that. If He says to us this year, follow me, He intends to help us to follow Him. He's a good God. Yeah. Amen. Let's close. It's not that we've not been doing discipleship all these years, but in the grand design of God, God says from this year onwards, let's take it seriously and bring it the church to the next level. Amen. Come on, let's all stretch our hands to the Lord. I'm going to ask Pastor Jonathan to close us in prayer. Yes, Lord. Father, we pray that this year you will give us the conviction, the commitment, and the courage to follow you where you want us to go, to obey what you are telling us to do, but more importantly, to trust you, God, to trust you that you. As you challenge us, you are not challenging us for the sake of challenging us. No, you are challenging us because you have something better. You are preparing us for greater levels of faith, greater levels of intimacy with you. So Lord, I pray for everyone in this room without exception that this year, may we grow to greater heights of revelation of you. May we have a deeper understanding of who you are. And with that, may we be truly, Lord, transformed from the inside out. It's not too late for any one of us, Lord, because we know that each and every one of us, as long as there is breath in our body, you have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. So, Lord, we commit and we submit ourselves to following you this day and for the rest of our days. Lord, I pray that you bless every single person. May they continue to experience your favor and your blessing as they are committed to follow you. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. We give you back all the glory. In Jesus' name, we believe and we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give God a good